Welcome to Off The Grid Radio. Better ideas to bust you and your family out of today's global control grid. Now, here's today's show. Hi, welcome to another edition of Off The Grid Radio. I'm Michael Faust of OffTheGridNews.com. Today's guest is Craig LaHoulier. He's the author of two gardening books, Growing Vegetables in Straw Bells, and the one we will be discussing today, Epic Tomatoes, How to Select and Grow the best varieties of all time. Now, we've had Craig on before. Of course, we've never had him on to discuss specifically what we'll be talking about today, and that is growing tomatoes from seed. In other words, what you need to get started in March, April, and May to have your best, hopefully best, tomato crop ever. Craig, welcome to the, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you and to just share you know, you guys suck my brain out and get lots of stuff out of me. So let's see what let's let's see what we find let's today. Let's suck some more of your brain out today. <laughs> yeah, are, sure. are you are you already growing? You're in North Carolina. Are you already growing yep. tomatoes right now? I I am. In fact, I'm at the transplant stage. And uh, so, for people who have never grown tomato plants from seed, there's a few things to know. The first is starting from seed gives you by far the best choice to choose from, and. If you don't have the setup for seed starting, you certainly these days can find all kinds of great transplants at local farmers markets. Uh, the situation has really improved considerably in the last 10 or 20 years. But start your own seeds. Um, you just can select from thousands and thousands of varieties of tomatoes. The other is that tomato seeds are actually good for 12 to 14 years. So anybody that's got packets of seed that has seeds left that are only three, four, five, six years old and they've been just stored in your office in the envelope, they're going to germinate just fine. So that's just wow. a few things to for people to think about. Yeah, you caught me off guard there because uh, I, I I was I was shocked when you said that they're good for that long and uh, yeah. and I was contemplating, wow, I, I think I threw some tomato <laughs> packets away thinking that they were bad. Um, so yeah. let's talk about starting. So each, let's let's each, talk. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. So each crop type is interesting. Peppers you only get three to five years from. Eggplant maybe three to five tomatoes give you that 12 to 14. And that's just part of the personality of any given thing that we grow, that they have different durations. So really any place that you can find a little bit of warmth is great for starting tomato seeds. And the general timing is that it takes about a month to go from planting that seed to you get a, a plant that you're going to want to move up into the, the next larger side container. And we'll talk about why that is a little bit later. So yeah, let, let's it, let's talk yeah. let's talk then about starting them. And so talk about sure. um, talk about from from the beginning. You know, you, let's say yeah. let's not talk variety necessarily because that's that's a whole other topic. Yep. But you have well, your tomato yeah. seeds. You're ready to you're ready yep. to start them either inside in your house or, sure. or in a greenhouse. What do you, what do you do? Yep. Well, I I have a sunny south facing window, and I can actually start thousands of plants on a table sitting in front of my sunny window because I plant them very thickly. So. You can get, and anything that holds planting medium will work. So if you've got uh, egg cartons, punch a hole in the bottom, fill them up with planting medium. You've got 12 little cells. You can buy plug flats from gardening supply companies or pots, yogurt containers. Uh, some of the, the, the needs are a hole in the bottom for drainage. And maybe the most important thing of all is starting with a good quality, sterile, soilless planting mix. So it's really best to not go out in your garden and dig some dirt or, um, you know, go to, go to a garden center and get something that's called topsoil or, or dirt. It's really good to go with, you know, a Jiffy Mix, uh, Pro Mix, Metro Mix. They're all 
Garden centers have tons of them, but the key question is seed starting mix, light, fluffy, drains well, but mostly they don't, they're not embedded with the fungi that can cause damping off. Uh, damping off is when your plants come up, they look great, and then you go in one day and they're, they're cut off at the soil line. A fungus comes in and it causes rotting right at where the plant. So really what you do is um, fill up your containers with some of that planting mix, maybe within a quarter inch of the top, and surface, I like to surface sow my seeds, just sprinkle them on, wet it first, plant your seeds. You can plant from 1 to 30 to 40 or 50. Tomato seeds, actually, I found most seeds don't mind being crowded when they're young. So you can be very space efficient by really planting a lot of seeds in a cell, and then you can transplant them very easily and successfully later on. So I love the variety Sun Gold. I'll sprinkle 50 seeds in a little one-inch cell. I'll have 50 seedlings going till they're about a couple of inches tall, then each one of those 50 will be separated on into their own individual pots and grow on to be successful plants. So, um, so pulling them out is, is yeah. you know, some plants I've, I've been told is, or, you know, you can, you can interrupt or, or you know, you, you, right. if you bother the roots, they're not going to keep growing. But you're saying tomatoes are not like that. They're, they're fine. If um, yeah. yeah, I've actually done it this way with peppers, tomatoes, awesome. eggplants, uh, greens, lettuce, beets, herbs, basil, flowers. So this is, this is the case where there's, what's on the package, and that's what lots of people do. And then there's what sometimes you dare to try. <laughs> and, what I've, and, and what I've found over the years are not that rules are made to be broken, but that many things are stated, and it's because maybe some people don't use the right planting medium, and you do get a lot of root injury when you're separating them out. But for the most part, I've found great success with transplanting almost everything. Um, so anyway, you, and then once you surface sow your seeds, I sprinkle plant, dry planting medium on the top just so the seeds are covered. Mist it a little bit. If you've got a plastic dome, you can put that on it. If you've got a little bit of saran wrap, you can loosely lay that on. Um, I like to use just a constant temperature heat map, but it's not necessary. Light is not necessary to germinate tomato seeds. You can actually find a warm spot on top of your refrigerator or near your dryer. Once they germinate, however... And it will only take three or four or five days for tomato seeds to pop up if you get a nice warm space. That's when they need light. Initially, you can get them in front of a window, um, but they'll need either grow lights or easing them slowly into direct sunlight uh, when it's kind of 50-ish, 60-ish over, over the space of a week or so. So we covered a lot of different activities there. The, the planting of the seed... Um, the germination, which takes about four days, and then getting them somewhere where they're getting some nice direct light. If you have them in front of a sunny window, you'll find they do something called phototropism. And everybody's seen this when plants bend toward the light. Um, that's, they can get a little bit leggy and spindly, but that's fine. They'll actually uh, catch on and thicken up a little bit, but that's why you want to get them either under an artificial light, like a grow light, and I just use fluorescent tubes or easing them to direct some because you don't want that legginess to get too extreme or the plants will have very weak stems initially. You can fix that by planting them deep. So that's really the steps from getting your tomato sure. seeds to seedlings. And um, I'll leave them under lights or I'll, I'll give them one month between that seeding stage and when I start potting them into individual pots. So okay. if you were to start now and we're like at the end of March, you'll be transplanting... Uh, say early 
uh, early May, and then you can get those out in Two Garden maybe mid June, early June or so. Uh, but that one month, one month thing is really helpful, no matter where you are. It seems in the country. So it seems that so it seems you're saying that that you go from having a, from from having seedlings to to a yep. pot to a pot. And uh, do you put one tomato plant in each pot, or, or are we yeah. talking about the little small little plastic things you can get at garden centers, and and um, you know they're about two or three yeah. inches across those those types of little. That's pots. what they go into is the transition phase, and then so now uh, now let's talk transplanting. So we've got Please, our yes. we've got our seeds up. It's been about maybe three weeks or four weeks. The seedlings are looking good. They're maybe they're crowded in. Maybe you only went one seed per cell. I like to transplant them no matter what because what that does is you will get those little pots. What I like to buy, and you can buy these online. They're strips of 18 three and a half inch pots that fit very nicely into a web flat. So you can just kind of flip those out, put them in a web flat, dry fill that with the same planting medium, and then you just uh, if you if you've crowd planted them like I like to do, you just pop that out. Uh, with your thumb, you can just break that cluster apart into individual seedlings. And it is the use of that nice, fluffy, soilless mix that allows you to separate those seedlings easily without very much root damage. If you do happen to damage a few of the roots in the tomato seedlings, they're fine because what you're going to do is then transplant deep. I like to transplant into a dry, into cups with not yet wet with the dry planting medium because once you wet it, any kind of a planting medium will pick up some resistance and make it a little bit firmer. But if you then lay those seedlings onto dry medium, you can use your finger to gently push on the stem so that the root goes in right up to where the leaves are almost touching the soil. Do a deep transplant, and then any part of that stem that's under the planting medium will quickly root itself. That eliminates all of the legginess. It will give you a much stronger plant. Um, and then you water after you've transplanted your seedlings into those two, three, or four-inch pots. They can then sit in those pots for a month or more before they need to go into your final garden location. Um, now, this is a key step. If you've found some time to harden off, get them into sun, get them into the maybe slightly cooler outdoor conditions before you've transplanted, you won't have to harden them off quite as long once they're in the individual pots. Uh, what I like to do, in fact, I've got a picture on my website, um, and I've got a picture on my Facebook page of my garage floor that now has a few hundred seedlings on it. I give them two, three, four days in there. I'll open the door during the day and let a fil little filtered light through. But you need to let those kind of rest and the roots redevelop in the, that fresh potting medium and let the water get into that plant. Because if you were to whisk those out into the sun or it's a windy day or a rainy day and it's cold rain, you can actually damage some of those very, very young tender seedlings. So you give them some time. And then I don't have a greenhouse, Michael, so mine go from the window, sometimes getting sun outside, right into my driveway in those three-inch pots. And it takes about three weeks and some warmer nighttime temperatures for them to start growing quite quickly. And you'll start seeing them grow about an inch a day once things warm up. Amazing, um, amazing, amazing. Frost. Frost is the enemy. So Yeah, let's, let's talk about weather, that in a second. Let's yeah. talk about that in a second, uh, uh, yeah. Craig. That's all right. Let's, let's hold that for yeah. the back end of the show. Let's take a quick break. and we return, we'll continue our yeah. conversation with Craig LaHoulier. He's the author of the book we were discussing today, Epic Tomatoes, How to Select and Grow the Best Varieties of All Time. We'll be right back. 
If you've ever wanted to grow the absolute best tasting fruits and vegetables imaginable, here's some exciting news. There's a new product designed to make growing delicious produce easy. It's called Protogrow, and it's dynamite in the garden. Protogrow is a bioactive superfood for plants that works by providing true broad spectrum nutrition, allowing plants to achieve their full genetic expression. What does this mean in the garden? It means mouthwatering fruits and vegetables, brilliantly colored flowers, herbs that finally grow to medicinal strength, blue ribbon garden produce jam-packed with bioavailable minerals and trace elements, giant pumpkins, even high-potency hybrids wheatgrass. Proto Grow is a proprietary blend of full-spectrum nutrients from the sea. It literally contains the basic building blocks of life itself. In fact, Protogrow is so effective at producing rapid plant growth in record time that it almost forces plants to grow even under the worst light and soil conditions. It's also perfect for growing your own survival foods and might just be the ultimate hard times barter item. To grow tastier fruits and vegetables right now, go to growlikecrazy.com. That's growlikecrazy.com or call 877-327-0365. 877-327-0365. Off the Grid News, because you want a different paradigm. So, Greg, before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, you, you've, we've started the plants inside, and now we're transplanting yep. them to, to, the, uh, to the outdoors. Um, yep. what, give us an idea of when to do that, because the answer is sure. going to depend on what... what um, yep. You know what what region a person lives in, but what temperatures sure. are we looking for? Yeah, so this is why it's really I think important to know your planting zone, know your temperatures, and especially your your last frost dates, because that's a good indication of when you might want to start your tomato seed. So let's say my goal is to get my tomato plants in the ground on May first, because that's when I know that I'm not going to have any more frost. Now, of course, there's no guarantees, but if you do hit like around 32, you could always go out and cover your plants or use a wall of water or put an inverted pot on. But you really want, you, you don't want to get into major rescue. So you want to let your temperature, and the other thing about tomatoes, and this is true for peppers and eggplant as well, they like warm roots. So if you rush things, if you get those plants into the final place too soon and the ground is still cold, they're just going to kind of stare at you and not do anything visibly in terms of progress. And if you were to read their minds, they'd say, why are you putting me in such inhospitable conditions? <laughs> and, until it, and until it warms up, I'm just going to sit here and look at you, and you're going to wonder if I'm even going to make it. So it's, <laughs> so it's, so it's really good to let that ground warm up a little bit. But let's say May, May 1st is the date. That's when I work it back two months from that and start my seed. So April 1st, I'm going to be transplanting. March 1st, I'm going to be planting my seeds. And if you use that two-month increment between seed starting and actually planting out in the garden, that's what can eliminate a lot of issues of people starting a little bit too soon. Because let's face it, I mean, gardeners love to eat from the garden, and tomato lovers in particular are dying, 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 dying for that first ripe tomato. So we tend to rush the season. Keep that two-month interval in mind. So let's say everything's gone well. You've got your seedlings. They're actually outdoors on tables or wherever, and they're, they're about ready to go. Thinking about where you want your tomato plants to end up in your yard, they're the sun lovers, and you can actually correlate the size of the fruit that, that's supposed to form in a particular variety in terms of where it will be happiest in your yard. So let's say you want to brag. You want to grow a mortgage lifter. You want to grow these big two-pound monsters the big beef steaks. Well, unless you have a spot in your yard that's getting a good eight hours of direct sun, you're probably going to be a little disappointed in the yield. So 
save the sunniest spots in your yard or your garden for the largest fruited varieties. Take that in the opposite direction, and let's say you've got some spots in your yard that only get two or three or four hours of sun, you can actually grow cherry tomatoes up to golf ball-sized tomatoes in those areas and get a decent yield. So by, by thinking in terms of amount of direct sun in your yard versus the size of the fruit on the particular variety, that can help eliminate some disappointments. And uh, many a customer I've had for my seedlings, you know, I bought mortgage lifters from you last year in German Johnson's. My plant was 10 feet tall and healthy. I got nothing off it. And I'll say, well, how much sun did it get? Well, three hours a day. <laughs> well, direct correlation. So to me, successful tomato gardening is about eliminating disappointments by having a clear expectation of how different varieties are going to do for you based on the sun and the location. And then something we've talked about in your show previously, if you've got spots in your yard that do get that sun, but you don't have the garden dug there, that's when you take out your straw bales, your containers, and you extend your garden into the parts of the yard that get the most sun to grow those most uh, particular varieties. So I know we kind of danced across a few different topics, sure. but that was just kind of the let's let's pick the right location for the variety to put this plant, and let's wait for the right temperature so that when we put that plant in, it won't be harmed because 32 frost is the death knell for tomato plants. It, it will kill them. So you really want to be careful. I have done the thousand plant shuffle where I'll have all of my plants in the driveway. All of a sudden, they change the forecast. It's going down to 28. It takes an hour, and all of those plants come into my garage. If I won't do that, I will lose the entire bunch. So you've got to really keep an eye on your temperatures if you're – you know, if you're raring to go in spring, but you've still got some iffy weather going on. Let me ask you a practical question. How tall are the, how tall are your tomato plants when you put them in the garden? Are they a few inches, a foot? What yeah. are we talking about? They, so they can be anywhere from two to three inches. And if you're putting in small tomato seedlings, that's when you've got to be particularly careful about making sure that you don't have a lot of weeds around, making sure that they're mulched well. And we're going to, we're going to use that word mulch in a moment. Let's say that you let these go leggy or they've stretched a lot. You haven't, you know, you've left them in the window too long. You can remedy that initially by your transplant and burying that stem. But often you'll go to a farmer's market and you'll see some varieties that you really want to grow, but they've let them get really tall. Maybe you're looking at a, you know, a two-foot-tall plant in a six-inch pot. What do you do with that? Well, that's when you can dig a really deep hole or a slant, if you can't get two, you know, if you can't get a foot and a half deep in your garden, grow it on a slant, trench it. But you want to, when you plant your plant, no matter what the height, bury as much of the stem as possible. And that's if you're in containers, if you're in straw bales, if you're in a raised bed, if you're in a dirt garden. Because if you leave a lot of that stem exposed, that's where, if you have a windy day, uh, a tomato stem is quite fragile and it can blow around and even snap off. Or you can have maybe a really blustery cold rain come in, and it will just suck all the moisture out of that plant and really damage it with all that exposed stem. So keep as, as much of the stem underground. But really, it's not so much height because plants will catch up. And you could take a 2-inch, a 5-inch, and an 8-inch plant, put them in the garden, bury them deep, and within maybe a month you get your warm days. You wouldn't even know what the size of that seedling was, because they will all have caught up with each other and be about the same size at that point. Let's talk about fertilizer. Uh, you yep. you know, put them in the ground. 
Uh, yep. Let's talk about fertilizer and mulch. Let's pair those together. So tell me about sure, fertilize, sure. fertilizing yeah. the tomato plant and, and mulching. And let's yep. a lot of our folks like yep. to use natural fertilizers, so give us some right, ideas. Right, right, right. Exactly. Let's talk about that. Well, the first thing, I think, even before those two are drainage. So, And this isn't a problem if you're using straw bales or containers. But if you go into your garden where you're going to put your plants and you dig a hole and you get a thunderstorm and that hole fills up with water, you haven't planted in it yet, and a day later it has almost as much water in it. You've got a drainage issue. So uh, we've talked about sun. We also need to talk about drainage because if a tomato's roots are sitting, if they have wet feet, if they're sitting in water, they will essentially suffocate. They'll wilt. They'll fool you because you plant your plants. You go out on a day. You say, it just rained yesterday. Why are my plants wilting? They're wilting because they're not getting oxygen because their roots are sitting in water. If you don't have good drainage, mound your soil on either side of the row and plant your tomato into that mounded part, so the roots will, the, the excess water will drain out of the sides of the mound. The roots will go into there, but then they'll reach the ground. As far now, why mulching is so important, and that's we're going to talk about that even before fertilizer, because tomato plants always, no matter where you grow them, will get foliage disease. It's one of the things that's happened. It's it's when you go out after about a month and you look at your plants, and the lower leaves have speckles and spots on them. One of the ways to really reduce that is as soon as you plant your plants, get a nice uh, untreated grass clippings, shredded leaves, uh, shredded hardwood, and good natural products that will create a barrier between the soil and your lower foliage. So when you get those inevitable rainstorms, you don't splash the dirt onto your leaves, which is the starting point for tomato disease. So you mulch them right away, and uh, it has to be air and water permeable. If you wanted to do something like a plastic, make sure there are slits cut in it so that water can get into your um, planting area. As far as feeding, once uh, oftentimes a, a tomato plant is, does very good at making its own food just by photosynthesis. The sun's are sh- the sun's shining on the leaves, the plant's growing well, and the roots are actually finding all of the micronutrients that are going to be in the soil anyway because you've just planted it. it whether you've planted it in a container or a straw bale or your garden, you've got built-up micronutrients, especially if you've added compost and good stuff like that. Sure. So I actually don't even feed my plants until they've been in the ground about maybe three, four weeks or so, because, number one, the plants are a little bit tender, and they can burn if you give them a big dose of food. They really don't need it yet. And you can then start reading your plants, and as they're growing, if the foliage starts taking on more of a pale greenish color, it's not that vibrant dark green, that's sort of time to dose them a little bit. So if you make your own compost um, from you know the kitchen scraps, you've got your compost bin, just work that in every week or so around the base of the plant. If you wanted to really stay organic, you can use things like uh, dried blood, malorganite, uh, fish emulsion. It's about, but you want to make sure you fulfill those three numbers, the NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. So, uh, you know, if people are not strictly organic or, you know, traditional gardeners would look for something that's like just a 10-10-10 and sprinkle that around, you could go with some products like Espoma makes really good organic fertilizers that have tone at the end of the name, uh, plant tone, um, tomato tone, and those are like a 555 or a 666, fantastic stuff to work in. You know, so many, so many companies, and I don't, I don't get any funding from any companies. What I do is when people talk to me, I tell them exactly the type of stuff I like to use, 
Fox Hollow Farm, Dr. Earth are two organic brands. Um, but, you know, everybody who's listening, and this is the wonderful thing about gardening, and this is why I don't get preachy, we all have to live within our own personal philosophies of how we want to garden and what we want to use. So I would say, you know, think about that, do some research, go to your garden center and buy the products or create the products to feed your plants with that fit in with your own philosophy of how you want to garden and how you want to treat your plants and the food that you want to create. And that's probably the best advice I can give in terms of, of what to feed with. In terms of frequency, Michael, if you're in a traditional garden where the roots can get nice and deep, maybe once every two or three weeks. Okay. If you're in a container or straw bale where you're, the roots are confined to get whatever water and nutrients it can get out of that small space, I'm actually, I actually do weekly feeding once the plants catch on because I'm, I don't want to starve them. So there's just a whole bunch that of helps. points I just that dashed helps. off. That helps. That helps. <laughs> let, me, let me ask a couple more questions before yeah. we close the yeah. show. I, 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 you may have touched on it earlier, but I want to talk a little bit sure. just more in depth. Spacing. How, how far yeah. apart do you want your tomato plants in the garden? Um, give us uh, some ideas on that. Yeah, well, you, you're like hitting all of the critical success factors. So, you know, if I were to have a license plate, I would probably say mulch. That would be one word, mulch. Everybody should mulch. <laughs> Keep the dirt off your leaves. But spacing is so critically important because what happens is gardeners will buy seedlings or will buy seeds, and the packet will say, space them at space X. And we'll do that, and we'll say, that's ridiculous. Look at all this wasted ground. And yep. so we do 2X, 3X. So you can, you can get away with it with some things. With tomatoes, what happens is since they are such magnets for so many different diseases, good spacing allows for good air circulation, which allows your foliage to dry out. When you're watering your plants, by the way, water them at the base. Put that hose at the bottom of the plant. Let the water soak in. Avoid sprinklers because when foliage is wet, that's when all of those fungal spores that are floating around will attack the, attach to the foliage and they'll start the formation of the brown and yellow spots. Um, so... What was your question? So See, spacing. How, how, far, how far apart should you, space, yeah. should you plant the tomatoes? So, air, so the sun and the air are both great disinfectants for the plants. The, the wind moving through the plants will dry them off. The sun will, will help kill the diseases with those spores that land. I like to use, therefore, about a three-foot spacing. Now, you can get away with a two-foot spacing, but that's when you start removing suckers and pruning and tying your plants to stakes that... Bring the plant closer to the center of where the stem is, and that will give you the spacing. So for a shorter for the shorter plants, dwarfs are determinants, you don't really prune those. But the perfect thing would be to use the three or four foot cone shaped metal tomato cages or create your own tomato cages. You can space those about two or three feet apart. But any closer than that when you've got foliage touching, that's inevitable that you're gonna get. Uh, early blight and septoria leaf spots starting to form, and that is going to spread plant to plant if your plants are touching, whereas if you've got space between the plants, you can isolate it and let the sun do the work for you. And do go out, and when you see those spots forming on the lower foliage, remove those leaves. That will prevent the spread of those spores upward on the plant and then side to side. One more question before we uh, yeah. before we close the show here, um, uh, Craig. Is is there anything that you would not grow around tomatoes? In other words, type, oh. types of vegetables. 
No, I would actually, so, you know, I've read books on companion planting. I've never done the controlled studies myself, but the only thing that I know of that would actually really harm tomatoes, uh, well, actually there are two things I wouldn't plant around tomatoes. One of them would be black walnut trees. If you've got a black walnut in your yard and you know that the roots are going to spread outward to maybe the extent of where the branches are, Anywhere in the root zone of a black walnut will kill tomatoes because the roots of the black walnut express a, a compound called juglone that is fatal to tomatoes. The only other thing I would be careful of is potatoes. Potato is the natural host of a really, really bad tomato disease called late blight. And what happens often is people plant potatoes from tubers that ha have the late blight. The tubers come up, the plants get infected. Those spores very, very quickly will transfer on a windy day to your tomato plants and then kill your tomato plants. A lot of the late blight that spread up and down the East Coast probably originated in potatoes. You know, farmers will cull their potatoes and throw them in a field. They'll then grow, and nobody realizes that those tubers are growing. The late blight comes out in the foliage, blows around, and infects neighboring tomato plants. So those, those may be the only two things. I was at a gardening talk in Virginia over the weekend, and a woman asked about raspberries and tomatoes, and I haven't researched that yet. But she seemed to mm. think that there may be a particular transference of some disease between raspberry plants and tomato plants. But that's a watch this space. I haven't figured out what the basis of that one is yet. Other than that, go for it. Plant your basil. Plant lettuce underneath. So succession planting. Your tomato plants are going to take a while to grow. You're going to space these three feet apart. Make use of that space by planting things that are going to be quick croppers, put in some radishes, put in some lettuce, put in some things that when it gets hot, they're not going to grow well anymore, but your tomatoes are going to be too small to shade them. So that way you can benefit and make use of that space that you're using between your tomato plants. Brilliant, brilliant. Craig, I think our time is up. Tell folks how, uh -huh. how they can get uh, more information about you. I think you have a website and you have an, an email address I think you'd like to give out, give out as well. Yeah. So if you come to just uh, .com, um and we'll have that website up uh, on the link to the show, that's pretty much a one-stop shop. You can email me at nctomatoman, all one word, as in the abbreviation for North Carolina Tomato Man, the embarrassing name that I seem to have been stuck with years ago. No, I'm, I'm living with it, Michael. I'm okay with it. But, uh, but, I, but I, I'll, I will answer every email the day I get it. That I, that's something that I've pledged to do since Epic Tomatoes came out, and it's still working. But I love to make gardening friends all over the world. And just, you know, I just want to help. I want to learn from people and I want to help people succeed because this is growing our own food is one of the most satisfying, healthy, and wonderful things that any of us can do. And Craig LaHoulier is, uh, folks might be thinking, how, how do you spell LaHoulier? I think uh, it's so, correct me if I'm wrong, Craig. It's, uh, of course, it's C R A I G, then L E H O U L L I E R. And of course, dot yep. com. All right, Craig LaHoulier. Good, good French name goes all the way back to a family of farmers in Normandy, France in the 1700s, as far as I can tell. So see, the, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, or <laughs> the love apple maybe, right? <laughs> I like that. Our guest has been Craig LaHoulier. He's the author of a couple of books, uh, including the one we discussed today. It's called Epic Tomatoes, How to Select and Grow the Best Varieties of All Time. Craig, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, and I hope everybody has a wonderful 2018 garden.
I want to remind everybody they can visit offthegridnews.com for the best gardening, homesteading, and features you will find anywhere. We're also on Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter. Keywords are off the grid news. For Engineer uh, Gavin Wright, or with Engineer Gavin Wright, this has been Michael Faust. Please join us again next week for another edition of Off the Grid Radio. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns.